Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 6, 2023. And back with us this week is Mayor Rick Bangiardi. Mayor, thanks for making some time. Yo, you're welcome, Brandy. I enjoy this. Thank you. You know, it's another week, and that means we have another town hall meeting. Yes, we do. This the schedule week, is rigorous. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's one a week, but, you know, there's a lot to think about with each one. We try to prepare and go in there, and so this week will be Mililani, but on the heels of the three we've had already, I'm really encouraged and actually looking I'm looking forward to it very much. Yep, the three we've had so far, Eva, Waianai, Waipahu, a couple of weeks ago, you referred to this this town hall tour as a learning experience. Right. So, so far, what have you learned? Well, I think it's been a learning journey for everyone. We wanted that we wanted the people whom we spoke to to feel the same way, that there was an opportunity, which is why we brought our whole cabinet in our ability to answer any questions. But for us, I think, you know, I, I think what we already knew was that people have pride in their respective communities and that they're concerned. And the kinds of people who would come out and do show up for a town hall meeting is because they genuinely love where they live. And so the things that come up for them are, you know, questions on safety, our homeless challenges that we seem to have had in all three of those communities, which I think, you know, is going to be pretty much throughout the island because homelessness has become pervasive in that sense. It's no longer just allocated or, or, or seen or manifested in a certain couple of areas. But so that in itself is there. Uh, you know, and then and then a lot of it's just sort of people asking about um, the basic things from the standpoint of their streets and mm-hmm. other kinds of things and things that we can possibly do to help improve the quality of life. So, you know, it's it, nothing has been off the charts. One thing about last week in Waipahu, uh, there was a whole bunch of people that came advocating for the racetrack. And it just so happens as we're taping this today, I'm getting ready today to meet with Admiral Aguilino to talk with the Navy about the possibility of what we can do in Kalaloa, which is one of the areas, but also whether or not the military has another piece of land we could possibly lease. So we do want to follow up on that. But I think uh, it's also been really good for our whole team to hear the kinds of things. And I think, you know, there have been unique things in each of those three respective communities. And I think in by the time we all get said and done, this is a projection, but I think in the aggregate, it's going to really kind of create a really great awareness for our team and talking about it being a learning experience to understand things that matter in different places that are of really utmost importance. And maybe in some cases, things we can do to immediately address some of these issues. When it comes to that racetrack, I know there's a lot that needs to be done before a plan can even become, you know, conceptualized. Um, But can you give us a recap on that commitment that you made to that community? Well, we said we're not against it. You know, what we need is land. We need land to be able to. uh, And then, as I said to them last week, but nobody had a clear answer, although somebody (laughs) flippantly said two years. I said, well, how long does it take? I don't even know how long it takes to build a track. But what we're supportive of is providing opportunities for recreation good family recreation. Um, and, and you know, the neighbor islands all have racetracks. I hear about that all the time. We don't on Oahu. We used to once upon a time. We have a lot more people here and a lot more cars. Some of the people were talking about the fact that one of the things that they hope to be able to achieve is get the kids off the roads racing each other on the roads and i you know i that certainly is a safety thing that you know if we can help with that but i i just think uh there's enough car enthusiasts and we have the land that we could do this especially out on the west side and put something out there for entertainment purposes uh, I, I i don't see anything unwholesome about having a track you know a racetrack it's just how do we get it done uh, but we need the land and i'm not even sure how much land 
But if I were to give you a perspective for everything we've talked about, a landfill, for example, we really need 500 acres for a landfill. We don't use all of that, but because of the buffer zones, I think in putting together a track, I got a feeling it's a sizable piece of land, uh, and we're going to have to figure that out. You mentioned your meeting with the Navy this week, which Mm -hmm. I imagine is probably one of a a few as we get closer to what we're going to do with this land. In those meetings, though, what are you going to be asking them or maybe asking of them? Well, today, uh, I know that we're going to be speaking about Red Hill, obviously. Uh, But we're also going to talk about landfill situation. Uh, We're going to talk again about uh, the land that, um, so we have 400 and something acres from Kalailoa Navy. We're going through some EIS problems. So they want to s- sign over to us. Um, and we're interested. I've actually walked the land with Laura Thiel and it's flat and whatever. I mean, you need bulldozers to, to take down all the brush and everything else, but it has the potential to do that. And, and so we're going to we'll talk about those things. And I think the biggest thing we're going to talk about is the communications uh, and what's going on because, you know, Red Hill has been a very sensitive topic, understandably. Uh, it's also has some very serious stuff associated with it and people that have been, you know, affected by uh, contaminated drinking water. Uh, but there's a lot of communication out there right now that's just so negative and we want to, and I think that, you know, we want to talk that through with the Navy uh, and learn more about what they're doing specifically. And because for us, Honestly, in trying to serve the public, we're trying to also create calm, public safety. I just met with the police department here this morning for over an hour on public safety, create and create some hope, if you will. Uh, things are getting better. Give people some direction. So. I'm really fortunate, feel very fortunate that the Navy's willing to come to us. Admiral Aguilino is coming in with Admiral Wade, um, who's been charged with the responsibility for defueling. I mean, these are people at the highest level entrusted by the government um, to make this happen. And we're going to have a chance to sit down firsthand with them and talk it through. So I take that as just in and of itself as a very... Um, good opportunity here. And I'm not exactly sure what's going to come out of it. Maybe the next time we do a podcast, we'll talk about that. But I, I find them acting very willing to engage us and talk to us about the challenges they face. You mentioned homelessness earlier. This yes. is an issue that's coming up at every town hall meeting. Um, but particularly when we went to I, there was the man that mentioned, you know, I have to walk over them with my kids. And the gentleman that said they're out in, in the middle of the ball field. Um, What can be done here? Because you've reminded us time and time again, being homeless is not a crime. No, it's not. But I think we actually took care of the ball field. If okay. I'm not mistaken, they um, they've they've moved those people out there. Look, we we are now, and in fact, I'm in the conversations with Dr. Jim Island, who runs our core program, and we're looking at um, we're looking at places to put people. You know, we talk a lot about permanent housing solutions is the next big step for us because we're building our core infrastructure. We had a lot of success our first year. We're gonna we're gaining momentum with that, uh, but we need to be able to put people places and provide wraparound services. So um, we're assessing that. But, you know, with the Hawaii Housing Authority, we, we think, according to Dr. Allen, there could be a thousand, a thousand beds available. We're talking with the state on a couple of possibilities in the hospitals. We're talking about taking over the Evil A Resource Center. There's 27 beds there. Um, our clinic on Hawaii Street is soon going to be active as far as uh, stabilization and getting people in there for treatment, triage and stuff. So that, that's the biggest thing right now is we need to combine that. We're, we're getting really good at being able to pick up people and, and, and stop people from having a call or have the call making 911 calls while well, they make the 911 calls, but we don't send the police out 
unless it's an emergency. Now we we intercept those calls. We we don't send ambulances anymore. Call goes. We don't take people necessarily to hospitals, emergency rooms. We're we're able to treat them medically there, and that's taken a burden off of our hospitals. Uh, and it's also an opportunity for us with these people in the street to gain some trust. Uh, and because our people, when they're not actually treating, they're out there establishing relationships, rapport. Now the next step is if we can develop these facilities to put people in and provide wraparound services, which we believe we can do and have resources to do that. Uh, that's where we're at. And that's what we're talking about. And quite honestly, I have such great confidence in Dr. Jim Ireland and, and his deputy, Ian Santi, that I, my attitude is now, even though they're responsible for EMS, it's to turn over the core program, our homeless initiative to, to them because they've become very passionate on the subject, very knowing. They've hired the 30 people we currently have. So they have a really good working rapport with them. Um, and, and they're just committed to it. So take nothing away from what we're doing with EMS or ocean safety or any of our first responder work. At the end of the day, um, I think I think that we can, um, I just have a lot of confidence in what those guys are doing because they're doing it with their heart, but they're also doing it with great skills. They're all medically trained at the highest level and they're just really good at what they do. Yeah, the expansion of core. I like that you mentioned the response to some of those inquiries, especially when it came to um, the individuals in the middle of the ball field. But the it, the listeners on this podcast, I guess, should be heartened that there is that kind of response so quickly to the issues that come up in these town halls. Yes. And yeah. One of the issues, and I just wanted mm. to know if there's been any movement here, was um, there was one complaint when we were out in Eva Beach about that monster home. Yeah, we ha we're going out. We haven't seen okay. it yet. We have it scheduled with uh, yeah. Senator Favela. I think it's coming up next week we're going. I think for some reason this week being uh, Easter week uh, that uh, he was off or something. He couldn't do it, but we have it scheduled. We're going to go out there and take a look at that. Uh, I, I've actually... Just so you know, I've heard now some conflicting information about that, but we want to go still see it for ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, look, we're taking all of these statements uh, and, and requests and complaints and however you want to say it uh, at these town hall meetings very seriously. We're recording all of them. We're following up. Our comms team has done a great job of uh, providing contact information, uh, as you well know, because you've been involved with that. And we're following up and trying to answer all questions or address every complaint. And I think that's what we're learning is... is I think that's what we're trying to show, too. I think what we're trying to show people is this sort of hands-on approach that we can't solve everything. And I make it very clear in all these meetings. Tonight, you're going to get the answers we're going to give you to the best of our ability. And it may very well not be what you want to hear, but we didn't come here to tonight to tell you what you want to hear and then do nothing about it. So I think that's the other part of it is that we're getting in touch with being this sort of high-touch, reactive Let's address some of these things. And then in the cases where things are bigger and more complex and they're going to take time, we could talk about that, give them updates. But that, I think that part is good. I think everybody likes that. We can solve some immediate problems, create some relief, you know, and most people are reasonable and they see us doing something like that. I think it resonates really well. And that's what we're trying to do in our communities. Mayor, one of the things I've started to notice at these town halls is drawing a line in the sand in terms of accountability. Last yeah. week, you got a question about the Waipahu swimming pool yeah. and told the community that we're going to open it come yep. May 1st. Yep. These communities want that, a straight answer, and they want to see us keep those promises. Yeah, that's right. And I'll tell you what was so cool about that is this is unfortunate 
but it's behind us now. But that pool was closed for six or seven years and never should have been for that long a time, you know, given the lack of amenities out there. So this is a big deal. And they were shocked. Uh, and actually, I had the date wrong. I had it in my head June 1. Turns out it was May 1. I told them, they were, you know, and we had some fun with that. But you could see they were just so pleased to hear that. And I'm so happy we're going to do that as well. So, yeah, that's, you asked me earlier when we started this conversation today about what I've learned. It's it's seen, it's seen that, is it how much people appreciate it when you actually do it. You're supposed to be, if we can make these things happen, it's it just adds to that desire to uh want to make good things happen for our communities. I want to shift over now to the Honolulu Liquor Commission. Yeah. The beginning of this year, that commission was still short a chair, yes. even a vice chair. Yeah. Uh, so where are we now in filling that commission? You know, I put a big premium on leadership, and I put a big premium on all these cabinet positions. Uh, sorry, all these commissions that we appointed, not anything different than what we did with the cabinet. I mean, for me, they become an extension of our leadership team, and we owe it to the community. And these are all volunteer jobs. Nobody's getting paid on these commissions. Uh, that when people go to these, especially the Liquor Commission, because they meet twice a month, there's a lot of work. So we haven't, and I just don't want to do something that's transactional and point people to whom we don't know, I have a good feeling about, um, th that we have yet right now, we've not gotten the leadership thing down yet. It's really important that we do. So we've not seen the right candidate. We're going to continue to look. I think we have an interview uh, later this week or maybe next week with somebody who looks really good on paper. Um, and um, we'll see, but I just am not going to fill these positions just to have somebody in the job. I want to be absolutely sure, especially in this, and we ta start talking about the chair. In this particular case, the Liquor Commission is a paying job. It's not a volunteer job. So it's a very serious assignment, and we're going to put the most qualified person we can get in there. We've already said no to several people, just so you know. And I actually had a couple of people turn us down that we liked and just said after learning more about it, it wasn't anything they wanted to do. So this is not an easy assignment. Definitely, and maybe that kind of answers part of this next one, but what, in your mind, is it going to take to restore public trust in that commission? Well, you know, again, um, you know, because we've we've got we've had the complaints about targeting and about uh, inspectors in the field playing too heavy-handed, bias, even graft. Uh, and I'm not saying that to accuse anybody because I don't know firsthand, but it doesn't enjoy necessarily the best reputation. So again, that's why I said I put a premium on leadership. I'm we're looking for someone to come in and take over all that responsibility, not just work with the other four commissioners, um, but also uh, with all the properties that serve alcohol, the inspectors that are in the field, and to kind of, you know, I think you build trust through your actions and, and, uh, and over time, hopefully in consistency. And, and so we can eliminate the, some of the complaints that we get about people either feeling targeted or uh, excessive use of um, power. Last week, you signed Bill 57 into law. Yes. Designating sensitive places across Oahu where the concealed carry of firearms will be prohibited. Yes. How significant was that moment for you? I think it was very significant because we were dealing with a Supreme Court ruling that really kind of altered, uh, if you will, how we live here in Hawaii. And I've said this before, I would probably have a different feeling if I was somewhere else on the mainland where the culture was different. But you have to look at the place you're in. And the one thing that was good for us in, in the Supreme Court's ruling, uh, even though they supported open carry as a Second Amendment right, and you know, and we have to comply with that law, and we are, is that they gave the counties a prerogative to, to decide where people could, you know, 
take take their weapons or, or feel that they're permitted to take them. And so we worked through that, and it was aggressive piece of legislation. But then again, we've never been a gun culture. We have the lowest incidence of gun violence here, even though I think we've had far too much. And not that we can't trust those people who are qualified to get their licenses. That's the whole part of what we're doing and going through those people who file for applications. But this is about public safety and the greater good. And I would tell you the overwhelming, we did a lot of outreach on this. You know, I want to be really clear. We didn't do this in a vacuum. I mean, I had my own personal beliefs, which was to be protective, but we reached out to churches, to hospitals, to the retail merchants associations, to the restaurant trade, um, to, you know, at parks, certainly where we're responsible for parks. And we had those all those discussions. It was overwhelming support. I mean, I still can't find somebody who can justify where they would have to take a gun to a park, much less a church or a hospital or a government building. I mean, I even though there's 13 elements there, I, from a common sense standpoint, knowing how we live today before this ruling, it all makes great sense. So if people want to take their their guns, if, if in fact they qualify and, and they have a permit and they want to take it to um, personal property somewhere people allow guns, that's great. And certainly if they're getting it for protecting their own homes and families and at home at night, I mean, that's fine. But I'm not going to condone the use of them, especially in, uh, you know, in this day and age. I mean, I, I don't want to belabor yet again one more mass shootings, but we've had we, we continue to have mass shootings. And the Nashville situation just recently just brought that back in another school situation. And um, we just, anything we can do. Uh, there's already far more guns than people, okay? And um, and we don't, we don't, we don't want to make that easy for people to get guns. That's just the way it is. That's how it is. And that's how it is living here. Almost a year ago, to this day, uh, your administration took a tour of Chinatown. You listened to some business owners. We gave them an update on projects, either uh, upcoming or ongoing. So one year later, where do we stand on some of those updates and issues that your administration? Well, I think about? I think we've done a good job of you know just today actually though we had a meeting in here because we know Chinatown is still a hotspot. We know it's a hotspot from the standpoint of some of the criminal element that's there, some of the drug dealing that goes on still, you know. Um, you said earlier in this podcast about being homeless is not a crime, but we, we've had some really bad characters hanging out in that homeless thing and taking advantage of homeless people. Um, so I think we've done a much better job of physically cleaning up the streets, and we're about to break ground this month on um, uh, Kekaliki Mall, uh, which is a substantial capital investment. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in the community itself uh, has been rallying around. We've done some cleanups. I just found out today they're going to have a big art fair. Sun Yet Sen Park has opened up and it's clean. It's different. Uh, we're, we're working with some developers. We have a real challenge coming up with Walmart's closing, but I've been really encouraged and excited in just the last few days talking with developers and different people who see some really um, some really, really surprising potential for uh, for that for that facility in that area and what it represents to the urban core. It's not it's not going to become housing. It's not going to become another retail store. Yeah, well, what do you think that closure of Walmart, though, that last big retailer in that area, will do for downtown Chinatown? Well, I think it's going to create a possibility here of something else. We've been through three retail stores. You know, originally it was Liberty House, then it went through Macy's, and now Walmart. I don't see retail going in there. I don't see affordable housing going in there, or even office space. The vacancies in office space downtown are now at 18, 18%, and, and there's th what they call 
32% are shadow, uh, shadow leasing or situations where people have leases, but they don't have people in there. So, you know, the expectation, and you see uh, Avalon Corporation, Christine Camp's company is taking over the Theo Davies mm-hmm. building, converting that to affordable housing. And that's one kind of a thing that's going to happen. But I, I think you'll see some less, less office space down there. Uh, I think we need to come up with something, a creative concept for Walmart that will be more... Um, it could possibly be something to do with medical usage. It could also be something that comes out. I know some talk about making a gymnasium out of it, you know, mm-hmm. for HBU. There's, there's been a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, I want to see where that's going to go. Um, the land is for sale. Walmart bought it in fee. Um, it's not. It's not cheap. Um, and I think they're asking $50 million for it. There's a serious play, but there's a lot involved with it. And then the other half of the block, it's 2.2 acres. The other 1.1, this is a whole city block, is owned by um, some developers whom we've been speaking to recently, um, John Davenport and his group, which have experience in the downtown corridor. And you know, they, they are going to demolish and build housing there and probably build a tower maybe one, two. So the possibility of creating on that whole city block something really exciting and different than what Walmart represents and then all this new housing that's going to be built between a 30 and 100% AMI because all this stuff has been in the works for some time. Calls for real revitalization. In fact, I want to be on record here in this, on this podcast of saying that for those people who speculated on Walmart, because I saw some of the letters mm-hmm. and whatever, that now suddenly Chinatown, uh, downtown is going to turn to a slum. I want to say it on record, it's going to be just the opposite. This is a chance uh, on that whole block to do something that really, you know, we, we use the word revitalize a lot, but that's really quite honestly what we're trying to do is activate, energize, move people into um, Chinatown is a, a tremendous place to live in downtown for that matter. So um, I, again, in the last week, I've been surprised at how many of the big players have gotten excited about this property and what could come from it. Uh, so let's see how it plays out. Yeah, you mentioned earlier some of the bad actors, and then you mentioned some people concerned about this turning into a slum. But when you talk to some of the business owners, and we've heard them you know, on the news stations, as well as um, some soundbites from Chulang, Kwok, who mentioned that the security, when they see the HPD on patrol, yeah. you know, they're a little more visible now. Well, let me tell you, we uh, just met today, you know, and I want more enforcement down there. I want people, officers walking around. That's tough to do uh, because we have a shortage of, of, of officers. We're now at 360. We're down from 394. I just learned that today. But, you know, that's still a big number. We've changed the shifts now. Pretty soon all the patrol officers will be on 312 shifts. That's going to give us a better scheduling and hopefully an incentive. Uh, but, you know, we're we're talking about um, we're waiting, still waiting for our cameras. We're talking about putting in some other things to help with security and um, security devices we're going to be putting up some signs as warnings and I think we, we may even be uh, we're looking at it very seriously at hiring uh, private security to assist our police officers because we don't have enough people you know private security is good it can be a it can be a deterrent but they have limitations on what they can do uh, and while it is a cost for the city at the end of the day for me it's an investment in the city because more than anything as I've said before and I'll say over and over again if we have a top priority, if there's something more equal than all the other things we're doing, it's public safety. I think everybody deserves to feel safe no matter where they are, not only in their own home, but if they want to go down there and shop and work and just go out and enjoy themselves, they should never have to worry about the fact that somebody is going to hurt them. You mentioned that 
officers shortfall, I guess the, the number there, at the Watanai town hall meeting. And I just want to jump back to that because there were concerns that there weren't enough officers. And then there were even concerns about the, the HPD station itself out in Watanai. Yeah. Um, but you got a chance to meet before the meeting. Well, we went and visited the station. And quite honestly, you know, we don't have enough officers to fill that whole thing. And nor would we necessarily. Um, and we do want more police officers in Watanai. But that's not about filling up the station. If anything, after seeing what's been built there, we might actually make it a, a, a first responder station, not just a police station. I mean, I think, you know, um, and one of the things we're talking about with EMS is putting, you know, ambulance services in there as well. It's a, it's a big building that was built, but I think the supposition by most people is that they thought, well, build a big building would be full of police officers. That's not the way it would work and not the schedule, but it is a great facility that I think we could incorporate and maybe even some ocean safety because we've got some great beaches in that part of the island. So I want to look at how we, how we do that, um, but we definitely still need more police officers in the Waianae area. I want to jump to kind of water cooler talk. Dwayne mm. The Rock Johnson made some yeah. news. He made a lot of local people happy this yeah. week. He posted a video on social media yep. to tease ahead to the Disney live action version of Moana. Yeah, I want to play his video for you. Okay. Is this where he asked me to take the leading role in Moana? I, I told him I would consider it. Yeah, as yeah. one character? I don't know. I just said it's a chance to be the guy in the movie. I thought I could do it. Aloha, everyone from beautiful Hawaii. We are here on the island of Oahu, where I did a lot of my growing up. As you know, Hawaii means so much to my family and me, and the traditions of our ohana, or ainga, as we say in Samoa, were shaped by these incredible islands. The Pacific Islands and their cultures inspired a very special story, one that you all know very well. And that story is, drum roll please. Impressive video, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson is an impressive guy. And I think the fact that Disney has made a decision to start to take some of their incredible animated hits, like Lilo and Stitch, which they're here currently doing right now, and soon to be Moana, um, is great. And so actually, if we can get this project here, it'll be tremendous. Because uh, when we, were, I was just in LA meeting with the Disney folks, and this um, this particular project is a big one. And it's going to be worth a lot of money. So it would be great if, 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 if it happens here. Um, you know, it's a competitive competitive landscape out there. It's one of the things I'm concerned about because of sound stages and things that we don't have here. We know, uh, But I think we have a good chance on this one. Um, and Disney's very excited about it. I mean, Moana did so, Moana did so well as an animated feature. Uh, to think of live action is very cool. Well, this is a chance to get your thoughts on policy decisions and the inner workings of the city. It's also a chance to get to know you. Mayor Rick Blangiardi, what is your favorite movie? Whoa, my favorite movie. You know, I'm going to feel like a really old guy. I'm going to sound really Italian, but, you know, Godfather 1 and <laughs> Godfather 2. I, I, I don't care what anybody... I, I've listened to guys... <laughs> all over the place when asked that question and how many times Godfather comes up, you know? It was it's just uh, it's a great movie about about family and principle and love and hate and what you do to people who you don't like when they hurt you. Really? That's the example? What a seamless transition from Moana. <laughs> When's the last yeah. time you, you saw a movie in the theater, though? Oh, I you know what? I have been only to one movie in the last four or five, and I went to see Top Gun this year in a theater oh, okay. because That's everybody said, do not watch that at home. You do yourself a disservice. But, you know, I um, I think it's been a combination of the last several years, 
anyway, between COVID plus running for office, getting in office and finding a Saturday or Friday night when you could used to say, hey, let's go to a movie. And then again, you know, so many of these films that are being made today, quite honestly, enough for my demographic. <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody's making films of my demographic for my demographic. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's it's been a while since I've seen uh, a preview where I've said, I want to go to the theater to see that. Top Gun brought that out. Uh, but like even Elvis, I watched that. I watched that uh, and enjoyed that movie, although it was very sad depiction of of what happened in Elvis Presley's life but I watched that at home on my television set you know so I, I but I used to love to go to the movies I actually feel a little bit cheated that that's no longer part of what I do to entertain myself you know maybe when the Moana live action comes out yeah well I don't know I <laughs> you know I, I look I I actually like you know I've had a chance because of having kids and grandkids over the years watching kids stuff you know as you would call it now my kids are older but still you can get into that stuff if you sit down and start to watch it it's pretty good really so it's actually in some cases for all ages because it just brings up a lot of good feelings those kind of movies are made really well so when you say movies for your demographic, I just want to know personally, have you heard of the movie 80 for Brady? Yeah, I have. In fact, my <laughs> trainer, you guys keep me out of the old people's home. Uh, he told me he just watched it and thought it was really funny. But he, he reminded uh, me that, you know, uh, you know, Rita Moreno's in her 90s and the rest of the ladies, Jane Fonda, I think, is in her 80s. These are a bunch of women. I, it's really kind of funny, but they're all, I think they're even older than me. So yeah, maybe it's in my demographic, but I actually look forward to it because Patriot fan, big time Brady fan. And actually, the cast that's in that, it's gotta be funny because I uh, they're all they're all very talented people. Last week you honored the UH women's basketball team. Yeah. For making it to the big dance. We did a couple. We did a couple last week right, that were cool. Right. Yeah. Um, but when we look at Rainbow Wahina basketball, what an incredible feat considering the team they lost to in the LSU yep. Tigers. Went on to win it all. Your thoughts yeah. on... Not only win it all, but they blew away a very good Iowa team. And Caitlin Clark, who was, you know... I heard the announcers the other day, an all-male group of those NBA, former NBA players, Barkley and the lot, say that Caitlin Clark was the best basketball player this year, whether men or women. I never thought I would hear those guys make that statement, and they did, and she was tremendous. So Iowa was good, but LSU was was unbelievable. I mean, to throw up 102, that was an NBA score, 102 points in 40 minutes. I mean, it was incredible. Not the least of which was all the other things they did, and they did so well, the way they played defense, the way they passed the ball. So the fact that Hawaii played them in the first round of regional and lost, no shame in that. I, I think that, you know, the fact that Laura Beeman took her team to back-to-back -to -back regional tournaments says a lot in winning the conference championship as well. I mean, um, they played with a lot of heart. And, they, and they, the games that they played, and they suffered injuries this year, and the big ones that they came from behind to win, a combination of a team that loses its key players, still fights, still wins, and gets in situations where they get behind. In some a couple of cases, double digits against really good opponents and still prevailed and ended up winning that game to win the championship I can't say enough about that that's great coaching inspired players because of great coaches you mentioned we did a couple yeah um, certificate ceremonies last week you also got to honor the Punahou girls soccer team mm. um, the way those girls state eyes, champions they, they lit up when they got into your conference room you know you had them in certificates what an honor for girls who are just in high school yeah I you know um, 
Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, I don't know. If they were excited. I think they liked the recognition, and we tried to find the right things to say. The coaches were just as excited. But there's a team, again, with the same kind of profile. They, As we listen to the coaches talk about the way they fought. But, boy, I tell you, what a good-looking group of athletes. You know, I, uh, they're all very athletic-looking, very pleasant, um, very attractive young ladies. And, and it was really kind of fun to see them. Um, you, could, you could feel... You could feel their um, their team, if you will. They, you could tell they were tight together. It was really nice to see that up close. And this is a perfect segue because, believe it or not, April 6th is National Student Athlete Day. Wow. If you could go back in time and give your young Rick Blangiardi self some advice before you maybe went on to be a college football player um, or even when you are playing in high school, what's the advice you would give your young self? Wow. This podcast is getting to be very deep here. This is, you know, well, I think, um, I think what I would say to myself, it was pretty much, pretty much how I've always felt is that, you know, you, you, there are no shortcuts, you know, you, you if you want it, you got to work for it. You got to be prepared to sacrifice and, um, and don't expect it to be easy and, and be willing to take on the tough stuff. The tough stuff is what what separates you. You know, it's um, you just have to be able to overcome that and and not accept defeat readily, or or for that matter, don't don't be defeated. Just keep going, keep trying, keep pushing. Why why would you tell yourself that though? It sounds like you you kind of understand like what it means to sacrifice something or to, to work for something. Well, I do now. I think if I was younger, it's the same advice as what I'm trying to say. And I now know at this end of my life, let's just go back 60 years when I was a 16 year old kid, which is what you asked me to do six, 60 years ago. That advice today is something I would say to somebody because I think it's just as compelling as it was then. But I knew when I was younger and at that age, you know, I was trying to overcome a lot of things. I had an aspiration to go to college. Nobody in my family went to college. Had an aspiration to play high school football in a really good high school football team. Uh, where I went to high school was at that time was the equivalent like St. Louis has been here in football. A lot of guys went on, played in the, even in the NFL. They went to major colleges, to BC, to Syracuse. Um, and I ended up, you know, doing well there, becoming captain of an undefeated state championship team, which I might say is the only one in the school's history. Um, but that all came from perseverance and hard work and just – like that. Well, Same advice. Work, you, you, you want it, you got to work for it. I don't think okay. enough people say that today. Well, Mayor, this is the one O'ahu podcast. So for one final thought. Well, well I'm looking forward to Mililani. That's my final thought. I think, <laughs> it, it, you know, because I have such an appreciation for that community out there. Having gone out there for so many years, I've got friends that live out there. It's really a tight community. They got a lot going. In fact, that was, we did the Little League Parade. That was the first high school we called to get the abandoned because mm -hmm. we knew. And, and, they, and they came and they brought everybody and they were great, right? So I think um, I'm, I'm excited about this upcoming town hall. And I'm excited, quite honestly, uh, as we slug it away with the co city council right now on our budgets. But I'm excited about what our team is doing. I start to feel, um, I feeling now we're really starting to get some real traction. And I think people are going to see things manifest in a lot of the areas that we need to make happen. So I, that's where I'm at. I'm feeling pretty good about where we are on uh, April 6th, 2023. Mayor, thank you. You're welcome. And if you have a podcast question for a mayor, ask away. You can submit your questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. 
And as you just heard him say, we'll be back out for another town hall meeting tonight. Tonight's meeting is scheduled for Millville, 7 p.m. Mili Lani High School. Then next week, Thursday, April 13th, we'll be at Kalani High School at 6.30. For more information on the mayor's town halls, visit oneoahu.org slash town hall. We hope you'll join us for our next episode of the One Oahu podcast. Until then, aloha. Aloha.